Strategic plans. What exactly do they mean for your lodge, for your Grand Lodge? How are they used throughout history? How do they affect today? And more important, how are they going to affect our future of what we value and what we call Freemasonry today? We have a very special guest on today that's going to discuss all that and more with us. Stick with us right after this historical light. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Historical Light. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Alex Powers, your host here. I am past master of Gardner Lodge, and we have a very special guest with us this evening, most worshipful Michael Stoops of the Grand Lodge of Kansas. My brother, if you don't mind, I'll let you further introduce yourself. Oh, we got your mic off. One second here. Make sure it's unmuted. There we go. That's the first, first step. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I'm Michael Stoops, past master of DeSoto Lodge. Um, I get the honor of serving as Grand Master of Kansas this year. And uh, tonight we, we're going to talk about strategic planning. And I, I look forward to that because that's been something that uh, was part of my Masonic career and got me really involved with leadership aspects in masonry. So it's uh, something near and dear to me. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Really looking forward to the topic that we have at hand. We're going to be diving into not only some of your personal history, get to know you better, um, but really learning about what the strategic plan is. What What is that in, in the name of Kansas? Where did it come from? And uh, where we're going to go with it. Um, before we get to that point, though, I do want to give you all a chance to hop on the team of Historical Light, uh, help support the show. You can do that by going to historicallight.com slash support. If you go to the main page, uh, just click support up in the main menu bar. Uh, through our Patreon account, you can help support the show grow and uh, bring you more. We've been here since 2016. It's been a joy, and we would love to keep doing that for years to come. So consider job, jumping on and joining the family here at Historical Light. So most worshipful, we usually start off with a couple questions, just an icebreaker to get to know you better. And I know we've personally had this conversation, but as far as those that have not uh, heard the story from you, what exactly is it that got you into Freemasonry? Do you have family history or what, what is it that made that connection for you? Sure. Um, my grandfather was a Mason. He was a, a, an Ohio Mason. He uh, joined in Indiana, but quickly moved to Ohio. Uh, and he, moved, he lived in Ohio and I grew up in Indiana, so I didn't get to see grandpa a lot. But, uh, you know, when I saw him and I knew he was a good guy, uh, very committed to his family. If it was Sunday, we were all piling a car and we, we were going to church with grandpa because he was committed to his church. And, and as I got older, I knew that he was with the, the Masons and, and an active Shriner as well. And he always talked to me about the Masons and what an organization, in his mind, it was a great organization. And, you know, if I ever wanted to join Masonry, he said he would uh, come to my degrees and, and pay for my initiation fees. So it was, it was something that was around. I, I'm not a joiner. I don't join things just to hold membership cards. So I was busy. I had kids. Uh, I, one one soccer season, I coached five teams um, during one season. Wow. So I was a busy guy. So I actually didn't join Mason until I was 39 years old. Uh, okay. I, just, I never joined because I knew I didn't have time to commit to it. So when I finally had a little bit of free time, it's something I, I looked into and joined. That's fantastic. So your grandfather was kind of your connection into Masonry. But there's kind of a neat story there too. Your dad became a Mason. Yeah. So, but not before you. My mom's father. So it was my maternal grandfather that was a Mason. Uh, And so my father wasn't. But after I joined, uh, talking to dad, he he decided he wanted to join as well. So I got to go back to Indiana and actually raise my father to the degree of Master Mason, which was uh, something a lot of guys don't get to do. And that was quite interesting. Uh, There's a picture of he and I that night and actually made uh, his apron. Um, the one that they presented him the night he was raised was made by me and decorated by me. So it's, uh, 
pretty neat apron for for him and and for me both. <laughs> that's fantastic. That that's really some awesome family history there for sure. I'm getting a little bit of a giggle here. I'm seeing another most worshipful pop up in the comments here, and uh, you're getting called out a little bit. That's okay. We've got a uh, uh, most worshipful Kellerman on here saying, "I don't think I've ever seen Grandmaster Stoops without a tie." <laughs> <laughs> I can go get one. I don't think it'll go with my sweater, though. <laughs> so speaking of ties, though, before we get into the nitty gritty, just since he brought that up, epic tie design this year. I love it. And uh, it, it's kind of perfect for me because one of my favorite uh, suit jackets I got from my father-in-law has the exact same interior color as the tie. So I feel like I'm matching every time I wear it. Well, and you can do the Fresh Prince thing where you actually wear your jacket inside out, too. There you go. There you go. So within that story, the the tie is kind of a honey color. Uh, it it showcases the beehive on there, which is also your uh, Grandmaster's coin design, correct? Correct, yeah. And, so and the, pen. Uh, the Grandmaster's coin. Uh, I probably have one here somewhere. Nope, I gave them all away. I don't have any more. Anyway, it is, <laughs> it is a large coin. Uh, it, it's beehive on one side and the level on the other side. It actually... It didn't start out as a beehive, though. It started out as the level because Kansas okay. Masonry on the level, Freemasons on the level. We really, I mean, that's our, our tagline, our go-to, and that's what we live by in Kansas. But I wanted the level on the coin, and I couldn't figure out how to make the coin the shape that represented the level well. And Brother Patrick Craddock and I were sitting down one night, and I'm like, the beehive. The beehive's a good shape, triangular in some ways. And the level fits on the other side of it. So they went together well. And quite frankly, since that time, the beehive became more important to the, than the level with uh, this year in, in masonry for me. So it's, it was an interesting twist. That's fantastic. Well, I personally love the symbolism. I think uh, the design turned out fantastic. So uh, I've definitely enjoyed being able to, uh, to wear that to represent not only our, our current grandmaster but the the craft as a whole i think it's it's fantastic and very fitting symbolism especially in the time that we're in coming out of what we just came out well still coming out of but absolutely so and to get into beehive and all that that yeah. was in the last print map kansas mason magazine so there's a couple pages on the beehive and the bees in there it's a it's a good read i i hope Fantastic. Well, uh, if somebody, maybe Kellerman, who's watching, uh, has the link to that, you can throw in the comments. Otherwise, after the show, we will make sure to uh, get some kind of a link to that in there. So we can definitely check that out. So topic for tonight that we really wanted to cover is a strategic plan. And I want to cover this because Coming into masonry when I did in 2014, strategic plan was already kind of being talked about. Uh, we we'd had this, this vision 2020, and I don't know that a lot of other Grand Lodges either have it or to the point that we had, but strategic plans are also very, very vital in a lot of ways, uh, especially with the lines that we have going year to year man, that's, that's really hard to keep any continuity um, without any kind of vision outside of that year-to-year -year program. So uh, if you don't mind, starting in with kind of the history, because we want to see how this has impacted Kansas, where it's at now, and then eventually we're going to see where do we foresee this going and, and how can we shape our future, which is you know the history of tomorrow, right? So historically, before we had a strategic plan, what was going on? How did, how did we operate? Oh, it's very similar to the way most Grand Lodges still operate today. And that is each Grand Master comes up with his plan for his year and has programs that he wants to do. And that's what happens. They're, they're one and done programs a lot of times. They're only in, in place for six, nine, 12 months at the most, and then they're gone and you never hear about them again. Um, some of my friends and brothers in Indiana that our Grand Lodge officers worked very hard a few years ago on several projects for the sitting grandmaster at that time, they got him done seven or eight months into his term. Uh, when his term was over, those things disappeared. And those guys mm -hmm. have put a lot of time and effort in on them. A lot of Grand Lodge money goes into those things. And, and it's just not a reasonable way to run a long-term business. And I know masonry, we don't like to think as masonry as a business, but at some level, it's a business, guys. The, the Grand Lodge operates as a business at that level. And so to waste time, effort, money, resources 
on things that are only going to be in place for a maximum of 12 months if you get it rolled down immediately just wasn't feasible. Uh, the, the craft was always confused about what the program is. Is that program still active? Are we still doing that? Uh, what's the new one? I mean, it, it was constantly that change every 12 months. And so in 2009, uh, Most Worshipful Jimmy Grassi actually put an initiative together uh, with, with the rest of the leadership to start the strategic planning process in Kansas. So that that's where it started was with that group of leaders, specifically with uh, Most Worshipful Jimmy Grassi in 2009, putting a committee together to present a strategic plan in 2010. Um, okay. That, that's so now you, started. You, you mentioned with uh, Most Worshipful Grassi coming together with this group. Now, was this group the COA? Was it was it other individuals or how did that comp- so it, what it, that it comprise? So it was different than we have now. Um, so originally okay. that, that group, going back and looking at the names on it and trying to figure out where those people were at the time, it was some past grandmasters, some people that were already in Grand Lodge leadership that were going to be grandmaster potentially, and then others that I would say – they looked at and said, these are high potential people that probably will be leaders of the craft at some point in their Masonic career. So that first initial group was quite different than the groups we use now to determine our strategic plan. Interesting. All right. And just because I threw that term out there, COA, I know when we talk about this on social media a lot, other jurisdictions obviously operate in different manners. And we always hear, what the heck is a COA? Uh, If you wouldn't mind explaining that. Yeah, the, it's the Council of Administration. It's the the, the four um, elected officers of the Grand Lodge. The the Senior Warden, Junior Warden, Deputy Grandmaster, and, and Grandmaster are the um, voting members of the COA. The Treasurer and the Grand Secretary, they are non-voting, um, I don't know, part of this, of this Council of Administration, but they don't actually have a vote. And then we bring in other area deputies and things like that as executive committee, we call it. But the council of administration itself is the elected officers of the Grand Lodge. Fantastic. Thank you for explaining that. All right. So we got an idea of, of where we got started with this, this vision of a, of a strategic plan and kind of why we needed so. So when we, when we got started with that, in your memory or recollection, what was the initial traction with that? And, and was it accepted very well from, from the craft at large? Well, if you can, if you can pop up my shared screen, I'll go into yeah. this a little bit. Cause I, I think it's, it's telling of some of the problems that we had with it. So the, this was rolled out as the path forward for vision 2020 when it initially came sure. out in 2010. It, it's got a lot of moving parts. There's a lot there. It's, it's Definitely. hard even if you're a, a corporation that does strategic planning and has people and assets to roll out strategic plans, this is complicated. This would be hard to roll out in the format that they put it out in. And we still see a lot of things in this that, that carried on, right? A lot of the things that they pointed out are absolutely things that we carried on with, but it, it didn't get a lot of traction. It, it really didn't. There were, there were, Parts of it that were taken and done well. There were other parts that kind of slid to the back burner. And I don't think some of it was even touched on. Um, And I I think part of the reason to me is when I look back at those old documents, they may have skipped a step. I can't tell for sure. I wasn't part of that. But I don't see a mission and a vision statement. I see a a broad... You know, we want to have 30,000 members by 2020. We want to have, but these are goals. These are not a mission and a vision statement. And it's very hard to to develop a strategic plan without a specific mission and vision. And so I, I think that may have been one of the stumbling blocks that they faced because they didn't have that go-to mission and vision statement to present to the sure. craft. And, and trying to present something like this that, that I found, um, what are we going to talk about? Well, we, you know, membership. Okay. What about membership? Well, there's three things under there. Okay. How, how does that specifically impact the individual member? Um, it, it's hard to talk about some of these things. What's we're going to do a tiger team training task force. What the crap is that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Um, the, the guys that put it together absolutely had great ideas and they knew what they were doing and, and they, they, they understood it, but I'm afraid that the, right. the, it didn't take off. The traction didn't happen. And so that's why we actually go back and we see that, you know, 2010, Division 2020s rolled out. Um, some things happen. Absolutely. There's stuff done during that time. There's uh, the beginning of the, um, the, the technology committee was formed. Uh, there was looks at into how we can make the Grand Lodge building in Topeka uh, a central location for uh, Masonic the face of masonry in Kansas, kind of things like that, right? But it, it didn't it didn't take off quite, I think, the way they thought it. And then there was questions as well as to uh, how, what are we going to do to get thirty thousand members by twenty twenty in Kansas? I mean, that's looking at the, the the membership curves. At that time, the membership curve had us below ten thousand by twenty nineteen, had us around eight thousand by twenty twenty. Um, so there was a lot of pushback on what does that actually look like? And I think that's why we had the shift that we had in 2012, because things weren't taking off quite like the leadership thought they would. So in 2012, sure. the refresh session was, was formed. And that refresh session had a very different idea of who put together the strategic plan. And so that that's the next evolution of the strategic planning process in Kansas is who actually sets the strategic plan for the Grand Lodge. And, and as early as 2012, it was decided that it would not be the active leaders at the Grand Lodge level who set the mm. strategic plan. They went grassroots. They picked guys like me. I'd never even been master of my lodge. You know, I was a fairly new Mason at the time. Um, younger relatively than a lot of guys. I was one of the guys that got picked to be part of that strategic planning process. You know, there were older Masons, newer Masons, guys from big lodges, little lodges, rural, suburban, urban. They, they really put together a cross-section of Masons in Kansas to determine what is the future of the Grand Lodge of Kansas. And like I said, the one rule that they developed was you can't be active in a leadership position to be part of that committee. And it really changed things around during that time. We came, you know, we sat down in Hutchison. It was an all-day deal. They brought us down there and we really hashed some stuff out and brother Rick Reichert, most worshipful Rick Reichert was in charge of that session. He kind of, uh, you know, drove the session, but he wasn't, he wasn't the one talking. He wasn't the one making the decisions. He was the facilitator. Sure. That was it. And so he, even he, at that time, you could tell he was shocked by some of the things that were happening because they were quite a departure from, that brand new strategic plan that had only been out there for two years. Um, you know, we, we all decided that how many members were in Kansas was not a goal. That may be a metric, a matrix, you know, metrics to see, are we being right. successful or not? But the goal that we came up with in 2012 had nothing to do with how many members we would actually have. It was much more grassroots and much more focused on some other things. So, um, you know, the first thing we did was develop a mission statement, which we hadn't had before. And it's, it's very similar. I mean, it's, it's almost identical to the one we have now. And, and this was revamped for uh, the 2030, the, the, the vision 2030 that we have sure. now. Um, a couple words were changed, but this is basically the mission statement that was developed in 2012. And this was developed by, like I said, the rank and file members of the Grand Lodge told Grand Lodge what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I can tell you that doesn't happen anywhere else that I'm aware of. Right. Um, it, it's very much the leaders tell everybody else what Grand Lodge is going to do. And in Kansas, we've reversed that. Um, and because of that, I think we were able to get more traction, quite frankly, because it, it wasn't most worshipful is telling us we're going to do this. It was, Hey, all these guys got together and they decided this, what's grand lodge is supposed to do. So. Yeah, definitely. And you know, that, that plays in so well to, you know, especially the, the big push that we've got out right now under you, um, being that you are grand lodge, uh, yeah. there, you know, that, that huge separation factor that people yeah. put in their, their mind that, you know, grand lodge is this office of guys that dictate everything. And, it's not so much the case. So Absolutely. seeing, seeing a, a program like this that really 
brings that to life. And it's not just a friendly, happy saying of, no, no, you guys matter. It's actually those guys making those choices and, and, and setting that path. So that, that's, that's right. huge. Yeah. And, you know, the history of the Grand Lodge uh, strategic plan is, is what's up here on the screen. It was refreshed for 2013. I was I happened to be part of that session. I was the only person that was brought back for the next refresh session. Um, I wasn't an active leader in Grand Lodge level, but we carried over some continuity, I think is what they were trying to do. I came back in 15. So from from what we had of the the original one, which is this, the 2013 version was three lanes, excellence in esoteric work, excellence in Masonic communication, and excellence in Masonic education. So we went from this huge matrix of things that were being presented to three things, you know, very easy to, to talk about these three things are our strategic lanes. That's easier to get traction with as well because people can understand those. Right. Um, so I think that was, that was one of the things that really got hashed out during that 2012 session, 2015. Um, there was a lot of push from the original one to, to make the Topeka building, the Topeka grand lodge building, this mecca of Kansas masonry that everybody's right. going to go there and spend time there. And we're going to have this ideal museum and ideal library. And that takes a lot of money. That takes a lot sure. of money. And it's a great idea. I love the thought of it, but it got put on the back burner in 13. It came back around in 15. There was a big emphasis on it in the 15 refresh session. Um, so when we rolled down in 16, that was back on there was trying to, trying to make the building in Topeka, this ideal museum and library, quite frankly, the finances just didn't pan out and, and it's, it's horrible. I, I love that building. I, but it, it was, it was something that we tried to do with the strategic planning that just, we never got the financial backing from from the craft. So I, I would say of, of right. all the things that we've done in strategic planning, that's probably the the biggest failure in my mind. But um, ideally, if you look at, if you look at the vision and the mission though, um, it's, I mean, you look at that mission statement and you go, what, what does that building in Topeka do for that mission statement? It's hard to, right. hard to link those. Well, what, what is that ideal Masonic experience in every lodge for the vision? building in Topeka didn't have anything to do with that either. And at the end of the day, um, you know, with the lack of finances and the lack of being able to tie it into the mission and vision, which are the the reason we have the strategic plan in place, it, it didn't yeah. make sense. So I, I would say that was a, the biggest failure we've had in my, in my personal opinion. But Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a history guy, right? So buildings are a double-edged sword for me because I see the reality, right? You can't, you can't avoid the reality of, of the overhead. And I I hate to say it, but the burden that they cause, but at the same time, I'm a younger Mason. So I've came in, these buildings are pre-existing. They've got so much history. So you, you've automatically got these, this tie to them, uh, especially our grand lodge building. Uh, I think everyone knows I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with that place. Um, but at the same time, I feel like, while it may have not been a collective voice, I think it was a majority of voice that the craft kind of spoke at, you know, you, you mentioned there about it, it not coming through with finances. I know in my experience, since I've come into Kansas Masonry at annual communications, I heard that come up numerous times uh, talking about here we are, here's the budget line, here's the deficit, this is what's happening. What do you guys want to do? And everyone would vote overwhelmingly. We want to keep the building. But then, okay, well, these are the finances we need, and that go up, and they vote it down. So if we can't support it, we can't support it. And as much as that sucks, yeah. I mean, I would love to say that's still our building. Um, it's also not my choice, right? And when we are the Grand Lodge, that's that collective vision. Yeah. Um, so if the collective vision out there decided not to financially support it, then that's that's what our mission becomes, right? It it. it it alters that course at that time. So it, you know, it sucks, but it is what it is. And I mean, ultimately as, as we're talking about, you know, tomorrow being the, or today being the history of tomorrow, as we move forward, 
Um, we know masonry in not just Kansas, but everywhere is, is dwindling. And I think we're going to get into retention here shortly, but um, you know, ultimately these, these old buildings uh, at, at one point or another, they're going to become that brick wall. Um, so if it wasn't this year, it, you know, may have been next year, it may have been five years. Um, but at some point, uh, there, there's going to come that, that split in the road where you have to make that decision one way or the other. We're just at that point in history, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and well, you know, well, people who know me know what I did to try to save the building and it's, we, we couldn't do it. So, um, but as far as strategic planning, you know, that was part of the process was that was one where we weren't meeting the goals of the strategic plan. It had to be reassessed. Hard decisions had to be made. And we went back to the mission and vision, which you have to do to have a successful strategic plan and said, ultimately, it doesn't meet the mission and vision anyway. So. Sure. Um, so now we, we you know, we, we ended 2020 was the end of vision 2020. It was the end of our first 10 year strategic plan. And instead of carrying it on, uh, we said, OK, no, we're, we're going to end it. We're going to have a complete revamp, refresh whole new group of guys came in in 2019 and, and set the three new lanes. And they're very similar to what we had before. Um, you know, Masonic membership experience was a big thing. They were really talking about, we have to have value for the members. That has to be one of the lanes. The value has to be there or people will not stay. Uh, you know, excellence and esoteric work goes into that and excellence in communication. Really, to me, other than having it split up between three people to work on the different lanes, two and three could almost go under one, quite frankly. They could be a sub a subgroup of number one because it all ties into the Masonic experience and the value of that experience. Fully um, agree. Interestingly, what we also got out of this last group was, um, I'm sorry, I'm going backwards here. Oh, you're good. Interestingly, what we also got out of this group was what we really took is some clear guidelines, not just for strategic plan, but those guys came together and kind of had a common voice and had these three things that they really hammered on, quite frankly, as why, what, what the Grand Lodge leadership needs to take care of. And these were big factors in how we set the goals and the programs under those three lanes. And that was, you know, basically the value to the members, every brother, has to see value in going to lodge or he's not going to go to lodge. And then, you know, it, it has to be worth their while. Why? What's, what's, what's the perceived value? What's the actual value? Why do you go? I mean, it's lodge night. What, what does, what decision process do you go through to go? Yeah, I should go to lodge tonight. Is it just cause it's habit right? or, or do you actually have value in going to lodge? And, and so that was very, very heavily addressed. And then the biggest one, and, and we, we see a lot of the repercussions, if you want to call them that, from the last one was that basically Grand Lodge has to set standards and uphold the standards that the lodges have to adhere to. It was said time and time again during those meetings that there are certain things that a lodge has to do to be a lodge. And if they're not doing it, then Grand Lodge needs to step in and take care of it. And I can tell you that being really, I mean, Tony kind of got a buy year because the rollout was during COVID. So there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of standards being set and upheld during COVID because we had no idea what was going on, but being the grandmaster that actually rolled out the upholding the standards, that's been rough. It's been rough. Yeah. There's a lot of pushback on that, but that's what the craft told me they, they wanted. That's the, the, the marching orders we were given. Um, so we're going to do it. So, yeah, it's, you are Grand Lodge. I'm not Grand Lodge. I didn't make these decisions. So, right. But the, these so, three things were very, very interesting, I thought. Um, we hadn't captured anything like this from the strategic planning sessions before. So this was, this was something new that we did, was capture these marching orders, if you will, for Grand Lodge leadership. So, right. So we... we briefly touched on there, uh, the pandemic COVID-19 kind of impacting and obviously not unique to Kansas. Uh, it's right. worldwide and, you know, everyone in masonry is, has felt the wrath of this, um, some more than others, but, 
to an undeniable and unavoidable degree. Um, in regards to our progress with the strategic plan and, and where we're going in Kansas, um, in, in your eyes, how has COVID-19 affected that? And where, where is it leaving us at this point? It, it basically stalled us for 18 months. It really did. I mean, sure. it, it probably happened at what I would say is the best time for it to happen because we were in that transition mm-hmm. from we were ending Vision 2020. It was at the end of its life cycle anyway. And so we were getting sure. ready to fire up the new strategic plan. And so there's there's always that little bit of lag between those two anyway. But frankly, I think all it did was extend it. I think we got a longer lag period between the 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 starting the new one, the ending of the old one and the starting of the new one. You know, we lagged for 18 months, which everything in the entire world lagged for 18 months. So, yeah, it, I don't I don't think it impacted us all that much. Um you know, if, if anybody read my Reboot Your Lodge series during COVID, that was all about leading into the new strategic plan, was getting ready for the things that were coming with the strategic plan. So uh, maybe downtime of your lodge was a good time to to re- reevaluate and, and come out fresh with a new thought process was kind of where I was going with those articles on rebooting your lodge during COVID. And, and, and some lodges have, quite frankly, some lodges have done that. They they almost, um, you know, phoenixes from the fire in some cases because they, right. they were they were really dead going into COVID. Um, I think everybody was at home, didn't have the fellowship, didn't, didn't have any outlet for that getting together with people they liked. And so when we started back up, that masonry filled that, filled that need for a lot of people because we started back up with our meetings before a lot of people were even going back to work. A lot of people were still working from right. home. Well, we're come on in, brothers. We're going to have our meeting. Come on in, share some fellowship, get together with human beings in some way other than on a virtual platform. And, and in some cases, that helped some of those lodges. Definitely. I mean, unique times. And I, I think everyone kind of, st- I don't know, it was weird. It, it, it kind of started from scratch in a lot of ways, uh, you know, I was, I was talking to brother Nicholas Lane just the other day is up in Canada and they're, they're still shut down. <laughs> they're yeah. still not going to lodge. So trying to, for one, keep your lodges going for two, keep the membership, you know, together and in tune. Um, yeah, that got really interesting. So I, I think it was huge. I know we did start back a lot sooner than others, but I, I think that was necessary in a lot of ways for our particular jurisdiction of, of kind of grabbing those guys. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I opened it up to meet, but any, even today I still have a few lodges that uh, there's some counties where COVID spiking and they're requesting dispensation not to hold their meeting. Right. And that's okay. I mean, uh, health and welfare and safety of our members has to come first. So, uh, you know, and yeah, and it's it's probably a great point to think that I told everyone they had to start meeting. That's, that's yeah, not no, not at all. <laughs> and it's probably appropriate to interject there that when we did start back um, for the longest time, we were taking very strict measures. I mean, everyone was in masks. A lot of people were in gloves. We were, you know, keeping track of who was there, phone numbers. I mean, we're trying to do everything we possibly could to uh, to make it a safe environment. And yeah, by no means was anyone. Um, Forced to come. It was, you know, an opportunity to birth again, I guess. That's yeah. <laughs> the lodge. So that's kind of, it's kind of sparking a, a little subtopic on my head. I know we're, we're talking a lot here about Grand Lodge strategic plan. I don't want to kill that conversation, but moving that to a lodge perspective, have you seen on a jurisdiction wide level, many lodges for Kansas um, take on a strategic plan in addition to what grand lodges is for their own lodge? Unfortunately, no, it's uh, very few have. Um, Okay. This is throwing me off. I'm going to, I'm going to unshare now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Thank you. (laughs) I pulled it up. I pulled it over here and it went to my other monitor. I don't know. Um, No. Um, Early, early on in Vision 2020, the emphasis was to get out into the lodges at, at the district level. There were meetings 
training meetings put on for strategic planning at the lodges. There was, we went to one up here in Wyandotte and uh, there was probably representatives of 10 or 15 lodges there. And it was an all day session on developing your own lodge strategic plan. Hmm. Um, I don't know whether it was the terminology that scared people or the amount of effort that they thought was going to be required, but uh, no, an actual full blown strategic plan with mission and vision and, and goals and milestones and all that. Now, most it, very few lodges take that on. Very few lodges take that on. Um, even even my lodge at DeSoto, I three or four of us sat down and developed what I thought was a, a pretty decent strategic plan at the lodge level and gave right. it out to the committees that would be responsible for those items. And nobody wanted to work on it. And so I finally, as master of the lodge, one time I said, are we going to do this or not? I'll take a vote. If you want to do it, say yes. If you don't, say no. And there were two of us that said yes. And I'm like, we're done. We're done. It can't be two of us doing it. Um, right. So we does it does a does a lodge benefit from a strategic plan? Absolutely, a lodge would benefit from a strategic plan. Uh, is it better to at least have some kind of written goals and and just kind of spitball where you want to be in five years and not call it a strategic plan? That's better than nothing. Um, right. But yeah, it's it's unfortunate that more lodges don't have a formalized planning process. And, and if you look at it, a lot of lodges are still in the one year program system. What's the master want to do this year? And, right. and I would have thought seeing that the Grand Lodge was taking on this long term vision, more of the lodges would adopt that, too. But there still is the mindset. It's it's the master's year. He wants to do what he wants to do and he can do it. True probably not the best thing for the lodge in a lot of cases though. Right. Definitely. I, you know, I, I think, uh, well, at least we, we see a gardener. Uh, yes. Yeah, my one I can default back to, um, when, when I came to Gardner, we were kind of at a, uh, a weird time, kind of a teetering, I guess, where it was a little scary. And then just out of luck, we had a kind of revigoration of, of membership come in and, and, uh, did really well there. However, we tried to sit down and do strategic plan. Well, it was before COVID. I'd, I'd say two, two and a half years ago, something like that. Um, and, and we quickly noticed, well, we all work together really, really well. Uh, we quickly noticed that trying to strategically plan, everyone was kind of with a different purpose in mind. And what that brings into my head is looking historically in Kansas, and I'm sure elsewhere, um, we used to have this this rule in play that you know, if you became a Mason, the lodge within your zip code or whatever had kind of bearings over you. That that's where you had to go, and that's not the case anymore. But how how important do you think that is as far as you know, brothers with a mindset of what they want to get out of masonry? And we see lodges kind of take those. I mean, different lodges are involved in different things sometimes. Um, but how good of a thing or how bad of a thing, where do you see that was uh, as far as that not becoming a factor in Kansas bylaws anymore and people able to go to what lodge they want? I, in modern society, I think it's more important to find a lodge that has the personality, its own lodge mm -hmm. personality that fits what you want in masonry than it is to go to sure. the lodge that's in your town. Um, it used to be you went to the lodge that was in your town because that was the lodge that had jurisdiction over you and you went there and that was the only choice. Um, okay, well, if we look back at, at travel in the 1800s, there's a reason we had Moonlight Lodges and that's because guys yeah. were traveling by horse from the far reaches of the county to the county seat where the Masonic Lodge was and they, they were traveling for hours hours just to get the lodge yeah. by horseback. And so when we eliminated those jurisdictional boundaries and said, you can go to whatever lodge you want to, unfortunately, we still have the mindset of, well, I want to go to the closest lodge. Maybe not. If, if that close lodge that you want to go to is all they do are fish fries and pancake breakfasts and, and you know, they, they donate once a year to the local toys for tots. Um, that, that may not be the Masonic experience you're looking for. And if it's not, you might want to look at a different lodge, even though that's right. the closest one. Maybe that's exactly what you want out of Masonry. Great. Join that lodge. Um, so I, I think the personality of the lodge 
is more important than the location of the lodge. And that goes back to the value statement. I think, I think a lot of this ties into value. You're going to go to an organization where you perceive the highest value. We do this with everything. We do it with where we go for vacation, where we work, where we buy our food, where we go to the restaurant. Everything's a value decision, right? Whether conscious or unconscious, we're making value decisions. So why wouldn't you join the Masonic Lodge that to you has the most value? And, and, I, yeah, and fully agree. So. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic point you bring up, uh, you know, with the historical basis there of, of why that rule was probably set into place. Um, yeah, I mean, safety measures were big. I mean, you, you got to think rural Kansas back in those days, you had a lot more snakes and, you know, it wasn't paved roads and stuff like that. And these, it, it catches my attention all the time because, you know, I'll read uh, our old minutes and these guys First of all, my little uh, tangent that I'll or my soapbox I'll get on here, they'll ride in from the fields or whatever they were doing and then still have a bylaw to come in off their horse that they would be properly clad in white gloves and aprons dressed up for the occasion. Yeah. But then they would be there to the wee hours of the morning and then ride home on their horse. And sometimes this isn't like February. Oh, yeah. These guys were diehard. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine going to lodge in Dodge City in the 1800s? If you, right. if you lived out in the county, I mean, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. So, so I do kind of want to tie uh, tie that conversation of of talking about you know lodges and the membership and that factor um, in in the strategic plan as a whole into a little bit of uh, data around retention and kind of where we see see that we're at with that. But before we jump into that real quick, I I do have one comment I see here from uh, another past Grandmaster, most wishful Tracy Blooms, our current Grand Secretary. Uh, He threw up here a comment about the Grand Lodge building we were talking about earlier. Uh, He said the building wasn't a failure. It was simply a realization of what we could do with what we have. I, and, I think and, you and I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was a failure, but I would. My comment was it was a failure of the strategic plan, because the sure, goal yeah. was to keep the building and make it a mecca of Kansas masonry. That was the goal right. that was set in the original strategic plan. So, in that aspect, we failed in that goal. That's what I meant. Yeah, and you know, I, I think it's it's one of those things that. It's it's uh, in an odd way a living, breathing thing of its own, right? Like yeah. as we uh, as we grow year to year, as we bring new people in and, and lose people, unfortunately, uh, you know it's going to change with time, and yeah. it is with it is what it is. And but while we talk about coming and going, <laughs> uh, so retention has been a, a huge right. topic, yeah. uh, especially in today's day and age. What's yeah. uh, what's your feelings on that? It's interesting because my, my thoughts on retention go back to that refresh session in 2012 because the okay. topic was how do we measure success? And a lot of people at that time wanted to measure success by how many Masons we had in Kansas. Okay, that, that's one measure of it. But if you're bringing 100 in to keep 10, what's what's the success in that, right? So I right. I was always of the opinion and I voiced it early on that the first thing we have to look at is, are we keeping the people that we bring in? What is the retention rate? And, you know, if you, if you see me visit a lodge, uh, there's a good chance that that's one of the speeches you're going to hear me give is uh, what are we doing to stop the revolving door in Kansas? Because until we stop the revolving door, we can't really fix anything else because we can bring them in fast and they leave just as fast. We didn't gain anything. So I actually took, all the data for the last 25 years in Kansas and ran the retention rate. Um, I broke it up into two categories because I, I was asked questions about you know, what's the retention rate difference between those that come through the traditional path of their degrees on three separate days versus those that come through a non-traditional, be it a chance to advance where they only do two degrees in mm. one day or an all the day, all, you know, all the way in right. one day, a, a one day class. And so the data was split up in that aspects for this, this study that I did. But if you can share my screen, I think I got the, the dropout. Of course. There we go. Yeah, so the dropout percentages per five years. So this, this, this data started in 1996. And so it's the last 25 years of data 
for people who were made a Master Mason who left the fraternity for non-payment of dues or demit, okay? Not death. These, these are the guys that, of their own accord, decided, I'm not going to be a Mason anymore. And right. I had to have the data for at least um, two of the three of their initiated past and raised dates. So the, the data pool for the last 25 years is about 16,500 guys. Um, the total data pool was twice that. I didn't have I didn't have at least two dates for half of them. So I, I could only use the ones I actually had dates in the database for. But what we see is that first five years, um, if you average those two lines together, the top lines, the one day class, chance to advance the bottom line, the orange line is the standard path. But if you average those together, um, you know, the retention rate is 30%. I'm sorry, dropout, dropout rate, dropout rate. We're looking, talking about oh, dropout, yeah. not retention. So, so 30% of the guys drop out in the first five years. Um, and then, you know, it, it, it trickles off over time, but that, that first five years is rough. There's a huge spike at year three. If you don't engage these guys and they don't see the value in masonry in the first 36 months, they're going to be gone. That's just the truth of the matter. That that first 36 months is critical. And so, you know, we saw the retention rate. But I always said to measure this to measure the success of what we're trying to do with the strategic plan, how have we impacted that retention rate? So to do that, you have to look at a an, an yearly basis. So I'm gonna skip way ahead here. And so what this what this graph is is a five-year slice. So from 1996 to, to uh, 2001 is the first slice, 1997 to 2002 is the second slice. So the first five years of their membership, what is the retention rate? And this one is actual retention rate. This is how many people have stayed. So we see right. in, in 1996 for those first five years, basically 50% of the people stay and it goes up and down uh, from there. But Towards the end, we see this gradual increase starting in 2010 and ending in 2015 with right at 70%, 69 point something percent retention rate of the 2015 guys. I'd love to say it's all because of the strategic plan and the things we've done. I have a strong feeling that that played into this. Absolutely. Because so many things we did with the strategic plan and the programs that were put in place directly impacted the value to the members, be it sure. the value at their Masonic um, degrees. Uh, you know, what, what is the value in the Masonic meeting? Is it just a mundane meeting where we read the minutes, read the bills, talk about who's going to clean the toilet, sweep the floor and makes the, make the next meal uh, and then close? Or, or are we doing Masonic education? Or are we having these, in-depth discussions about masonry during the meetings. What value is there in the Masonic meetings? What's the value of your interaction between masonry and the community? That's a big aspect of it too. Right. Masonry is not a charity. Masonry is not a civic organization or a social club, right? But that, that interaction between the community and the Masonic Lodge is a Masonic experience. Okay? Sure. When we, we, we talk about the vision statement, an ideal Masonic experience in every lodge, that's not just the degree work. That's every time you interact as a Mason, Mason to Mason, in a meeting, out of a meeting, during the fellowship meals, every time you interact with your church, your community, your family, you're interacting as a Mason. That's all part of the Masonic experience if you're doing it right. And so what we see is this nice gradual slope up in the retention rate. I had to stop at 2015 because the five-year period for 16 ends next month. I don't have the data for 16 yet. I hope it continues to go up. I hope we continue to see that. But when I looked at this, it was it was confirmation to me that we're potentially doing the right thing with the strategic plan and the programs that are adding value to the members that's impacting this retention rate. Right. Are there hard facts to correlate that? No. There's never going to be hard facts to correlate that, but something changed and something's looking better. So, so one one question I have for you: um, looking at 
the issue we were talking about brothers coming in. And if you, if you don't give them what they're looking for in that 30 minutes, 36 month time frame, they're, they're probably out the door. Yeah. That that's an issue for me as a failure of the lodge. Right. On the other side of that, it's really popping into my head. How much are we guarding the West gate? Like, yeah. Should should some of these guys been there in the first place? Right. And is that part of the reason they're not enjoying what because I've seen it so many times, you know, we, we talk about Freemasonry is not a charity, this. I mean that it's definitely an aspect, but it's not the purpose. It's not who we are. It's part of what we do. Yeah, um, but I've seen things. guys sell masonry in every like a used car salesman just get guys in the door. Yeah. And 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 I think I think that's probably part of it. I think going back, if you look at the original annual proceedings for the Grand Lodge, and I can't remember if it was the first 12 years, it was approximately the first 12 years, we kept the records of how many people applied and how many people were rejected. About 40% mm. of the people that applied for masonry were rejected. They didn't make it past right. the ballot box. Well, if it's 0.04% now, I'd be shocked. It's certainly nowhere near 40%. <laughs> yeah. um, actual petition for the Mysteries of Masonry, I personally have never seen one rejected. Um, so yeah, are we guarding the West gate? Are, are these, some of these guys dropping out because they should have never been Masons to begin with? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I think that, that it's always going to play into it until we, to we get, come back around to doing what we're supposed to do. Uh, sure. guard that West gate. We, are we supposed to be elite? Yeah. We're supposed to be elite. Are we supposed to be elitist? No, we're not supposed to be elitist, but we're supposed to be elite. And yeah. anytime you have an organization that you have to pass a unanimous ballot to get into, I'm sorry, by definition, that's probably an elite organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, guard the West gate and, and, you know, maybe that retention rate, maybe, maybe that's the last 20% is what, what we're looking for is the guys that should have never joined. So. It's very, very possible. Very possible. Well, we have a, a few comments here before we get to our, our toast this evening. Um, one from most worshipful Kellerman here. Uh, he says, so the, it's the same dropout rate remarks that we've always heard for so long, for so long we're wrong. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for the softball. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure he's referring to these. I did. I, this is not the topic for tonight, but since it was brought up, we'll look at them briefly. Yes. <laughs> The, the dropout or retention, this, this is retention. This is retention. So the guys that stayed in, only 30% of the guys that were brought in on one-day classes are still Masons. So, mm. but quite frankly, that, that bottom line, the standard ones, 51%, that's horrible too. In my mind, yeah. that's, that's, that's almost worse in my mind because we were supposed to have done everything right for these guys. Right. And 51%, and, you know, they left 49%. You know, that's 17,000 people. That's the number. The, 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 right. the number of Master Masons that have, through their own decision, unaffiliated from what we consider the best fraternal organization the world's ever known, 17,000 yeah. men have left Kansas Masonry in the last 25 years. Walked away, not for them, didn't pay their dues. Okay, we we only have thirteen thousand masons in Kansas now. We've right. lost more than we currently have because they walked away. So, in my mind, that can't be all on them. It's got to be on us. So, yeah, the retention numbers—that that's what they are. The one-day classes do not help us with retention. We'll just leave it at that. But <laughs> I until, fully agree. Until we, but it's... until we fix this bottom line. We're not doing something right anyway. Yeah, and and, and that's the uh, that's the real kicker because you know I, I want to harp on those top two right and say yes, I fully agree, and it's wonderful to have the data that supports that. But when you're looking at the zero to a hundred, like that bottom line's not that far from the top, and that bottom line is fully on us, yeah. fully on us. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where you go with that, but. <laughs> Well, the good news is we're on an uptrend. Exactly. Yes. So we, we are doing something better. So let's see. We got a comment here from uh, Brother Joseph Stiles. 
to I'm not sure exactly what point he was uh, saying this, but this is because until 2003, you likely finished degrees if you started. And now each year, a larger percent does not advance. That's true. And I, I did not run the numbers on those yet. It's on my radar. I can tell you that uh, I got numbers from Ohio and right now they're running through the standard degree path. About 30% of their people do not advance to the degree of a master mason. Um, so yeah, those, those numbers, I did not look at those as part of this study, but yes, they're, they're not in my mind that good either. So. See, so we'll swap over here and we totally take out most worshipful stoops head. Sorry about that. Uh, brother Marvin Fletcher here says, should we support our Masonic youth orders more completely through scholar or through sponsorships of Bethel's assemblies chapters? And does said sponsorship meet the criteria of the strategic plan in the eyes of the Grand Lodge leadership? Should we support them? Yes. Um, does it meet the, the strategic plan? Well, let's go back to the mission and vision statement. Does it provide an ex excellent Masonic experience in the lodge? If that's your lodge culture and that's something your lodge wants to do, yeah, it's part of the ideal Masonic experience for your lodge. So at the lodge level, absolutely. Is it, well, let me get to the visions. I must have the vision in there twice. That's what's throwing me off. Um, <laughs> It's that important. Yeah, you got to go back to it. So this thing's brothers to see this process. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it helps them achieve prosperity and as assets to their communities. The youth orders are part of their community. So, yes, I, I think it supporting the youth orders does meet the mission and vision statement of the Grand Lodge. Is it part of the Grand Lodge strategic plan? No, it's not part of the Grand Lodge strategic plan, because the thing we have to remember is Grand Lodge deals with lodges. Yeah. Okay? Uh, we are the governing body, all of us, all of us that are Grand Lodge, not just me, all of us that are Grand Lodge, every ma past master, sitting master, and sitting officer of the lodges are Grand Lodge. We collectively are the governing body of the lodges. Okay? Sure. So the Grand Lodge doesn't dictate how we interact with the pendant and concordant bodies or youth orders. So I don't think it's part of this Grand Lodge strategic plan, but it actually absolutely fits into the mission and vision statement for what we think lodges should be doing. If, if that's the personality of the lodge and that's what they want to do. Definitely. I think you summed that up perfectly. And then uh, last one before we hit toast here. We have a uh, most worshipful bloom again. He said, maybe it's not what we are giving new initiates. Maybe it's what the new, new initiates are expecting, oh, whatever that might be. Yeah. No, you, ha you have to talk to them. You have to, you have to, you have to know why they want to join masonry. And th that's a conversation that should be taking place even before they get a petition in their hand. Because why, if, if somebody wants to come in, I got what, two minutes. All right. Quick story. Uh, did some courtesy work for a lodge. I was there in my regalia as area deputy or something, got done. Guy's third degree, we're doing courtesy work. He pops in afterwards to me and goes, I need to talk to you privately. Okay. Well, you're the guy here, right? I'm like, I'm a guy here. Well, you're going to teach me the spells. <laughs> the spells. Oh, yeah, you're going to teach boy. me the spells. You guys are magicians. Nope, we're not. Um, yeah, that's what he thought he was getting out of Freemasonry. That he... We failed on several levels. He was a master mason and thought we were going to teach him spells. So, yeah, it, we, we have to talk to these people and find out why they want to join, make sure we can provide that for them within the personality of the lodge that they're trying to join. Maybe that's not the right lodge for them. DeSoto Lodge does certain things. Lenexa Lodge does something right. else. Maybe they're looking for something that Lenexa Lodge does, but DeSoto doesn't, but they're, they're talking to DeSoto. Well, DeSoto should be mature enough to say, that's not the personality of our lodge. Why don't you yes. go visit with the guys at Lenexa and see if that fits what you want out of Masonry more? So, yeah, absolutely. We, we have to know what they want when they join, because if we don't and we can't provide it, they're going to leave. Yeah. But I, I think also an equal importance that you just touched on right there is that matureness to think bigger than your lodge and of masonry as a whole right now um, because I, I see this in every order I don't, I don't care if it's your church or some gr other group you're in 
everyone kind of gets into, oh, well, my group on this and oh, well, my group on that. And I think as Masons, we're just as guilty of that about, oh, my lodge. And we very rarely come together and say, lodges, like we can do stuff together. We can help each other. And I've, I've personally heard brothers come into a lodge and then to, oh, well, if you're more into that stuff, after you get your third degree, then you can look at becoming a plural member somewhere else. Is that really the path? <laughs> no, we got to think makes, bigger, guys. It makes guys. more sense to make sure that they go into a lodge that they're going to see the value. Yes. And, and I, quite frankly, I really appreciate you touching on that. Sometimes it's okay to say, you know, masonry doesn't provide what you're looking for. Maybe you should join the Rotary. Maybe you should join the Lions Club. <laughs> masonry may not be the organization that's going to provide the value you're looking for. And we yeah. should be mature enough to be able to say that too. I actually uh, kind of off topic, but I had that exact conversation with a potential candidate uh, just two weeks ago. Uh, I was asking and asking and asking about masonry and, you know, I was answering what I could here and there. And then finally said, I think my selling point is I need to know that the lodge devotes what, 35 hours a week to community service. And I was like, wrong organization. Sorry. Just telling you right off the top that you're not going to find that here. No. <laughs> he goes, some lodges he goes, do. Some lodges do. Yeah. Yeah. But, but anyways, I think we are at, yeah, 901. Brother, are you toasting with us this evening? I think so. I think that's what this is. Fantastic. What are you, uh, what are you toasting with? What's, what's the brown liquid you got over there? Uh, some kind of iced tea, I think. That works. Or Buna Hobbin scotch. I don't know which. We'll figure it out here in a minute. <laughs> you make some strong IT, iced tea, my friend. All right. Well, I am working through the last little bit of my Pendleton over here. We're going to have to go get something else here pretty soon. Um, let's see. We're going to stop uh, sharing. Yep. And most worshipful, uh, have a little chance to chat with you after this and say thanks for coming on and everything. But if you wouldn't mind for our nine o'clock toast this evening, uh, would you mind sharing a toast for us? Sure. First, as it's nine o'clock, we always have to toast to our absent brothers, but let's also toast to planning for the future and providing the value that our brothers desire. Here's to that. Cheers. Thank you so much for that most worshipful. So I want to thank you so much for coming on this evening. I, I think this is, really a, a vital conversation to have. I think this is a vital conversation that the brothers need to not only get a grasp on for themselves of really what this is, what the mission is here and how to carry this out. Not just thinking grand lodge is going to do it, but remembering we are grand lodge and we have to do this or it's not going to work, but also figuring out what's that mean for your lodge. Maybe your lodge needs its own strategic plan uh, to be suitable for them. I mean, how many lodges out there really think five years in advance? And that can be scary in today's day and age. If you want to exist, I'd suggest you plan for it. But most worshipful, uh, what are some final thoughts before we get to wrapping up this evening? What would you really like uh, people to take away from all this? Um, I think we've hit on a lot that, that you are grand lodge. You, you just said it. I mean, it's, you know, we, we, we as leaders of the Grand Lodge can talk about the strategic plan and the programs and, and the mission and the vision and all of this, but we can't force anybody to do any of it. We're, we're a volunteer yeah. organization. Um, we're not doing it to make it harder on people. We're doing it because this is the path to success that we see other lodges taking. Lodges within our jurisdiction that are successful are doing these things, right? And we develop programs that bring those things in. Remember your Grand Lodge. Remember that it's about the success of you as a Mason and the success of your Lodge. Take mm -hmm. it on. Do it. Run with it. Make it your own. Tweak it. Um, but do something. Plan. Plan for the future. Because <laughs> if you don't plan, you're going to fail. 100%. 100%. So I, I know some guys probably see this topic on historical light and they wonder, well, that's a weird topic for a history program. Um, but if you think about it in the big picture, it's not, you know, our strategic plan uh, has a history to it. And because of it has brought us to the point we are today. 
And because of it is going to take us into tomorrow, which we rarely think about, but tomorrow is our history. Uh, it's the history or today is the history of tomorrow. And if we're not thinking about that, um, as we often look back and maybe blame our brothers in the past for certain downfalls in our lodge or grand lodge or whatever, um, we can very well be that downfall for years to come. So it's important that we have that in, in sight today. So I think this is a, a valuable part of our history um, that's worth looking at. It's worth understanding and uh, worth continuing to plan for, for the future. If this is indeed something that we care about as much as we say we do. So I want to thank you uh, very, very kindly, most wishful for taking time out of your evening away from family to uh, bring this light, this knowledge to us, your expertise. Uh, it's been very, very valuable to me. Um, I hope to have you on again for, for more topics. I want to invite everyone after this to uh, check out the group on Facebook. It's the Historical Light and Sonic uh, Research Group. We can continue conversations there. I want to thank everyone joining us live this evening. It's been a true pleasure. And until next month, well, yeah, next month, we will see you then, brothers. Take it easy and uh, be on the level. Thanks, guys.